Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me, as always, is Aton. Hey, Aton. Hey, Carl. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. I've been uh, scrolling through the numbers while we were setting up everything and trying to see where Mario stacks up versus mm. other movies. Because I didn't see it this weekend, but you did, and so did seemingly much of the world. Much of the world? Uh, $377 million worldwide? Impressive. Biggest animated opening ever, surpassing Frozen, who is also the only other movie, animated movie, that made more than 300. So, like, there is still a very big divide between Mario and number three. Yeah, it is, uh, it was news to me about five minutes ago that even Frozen 2 was number one. I thought it was still Incredibles 2, but it makes sense. Uh, I wouldn't, it kind of shocks me. I mean, you know, theatrical versus streaming, but it shocks me given all the death rattle that we heard in Trolls World Tour era about how kids' movies are not going to make it into theaters anymore, how all of this is going to collapse. Really surprises me that we beat that record already, but it also seems to be an early kids' movie that people were turning up for, Puss in Boots being quietly a, a film that laid the path for that, too. Yeah, and Mario is one that, I don't know, if maybe we didn't talk about it here, but that had all the ingredients to be this massive. I think it just for the trailer, from the type of animation, from the type of humor, from the global appeal, relatively cross-generational. Like, I remember my uncle had in his house the first Nintendo, you know, like late 80s with the original yeah. Mario. And he's now... I don't know, 50-something. You and I grew up with Mario 64. And even, you know, Super Nintendo, Mario 64, some of the Luigi's Mansion. And the new kids are still like Super Mario and Smash. And <clears throat> it's a very tight, an hour and 30 minutes. So they could just pack a ton of screenings. There weren't any other kids' movies near around it. Right. Most of the other stuff is not only, like, adult, it's, like, R-rated. Like, John Wick is R. Uh, Air, right. which is awesome, by the way, it's R-rated. So, like... Also not for children. Like No, but, like... it wasn't R-rated, you and I as children might have liked it, but very few other children <laughs> would have. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but it was crazy. Like, I wanted to watch Air, which had, you know, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and 99% audience score. And it was playing in one screen in both of the AMCs close to me. Mario was playing in like seven in each. The IMAX was Mario. The Dolby was Mario. And... Like, I thought it was just... It was a reasonable movie. It's perfectly fun. It could have yeah. been way better, but it, it definitely passes that threshold of people are going to enjoy it. And it's it's just fun. And, it, you know? It's just unfortunate that the Lego movie broke animation, you know? Because it set the standard for what it can be. And I think Lord and Miller have continued producing projects that also keep setting standards there. But I think it's impossible to watch a franchise animated film like this that's also trying to be self-aware and 
four quadrant and have some story that isn't just I don't know shapes and colors. Sure, it's really difficult to compete with the success of the Lego Movie or Into the Spider Verse. Everyone's comparing it to those or to the standards bearers of classical family entertainment, like your Disney Princess Renaissance. Yes. I said Renaissance. I guess it's the second <laughs> Renaissance or Pixar, right? I, I think Illumination always has an uphill battle, but they always do an admirable job, especially compared to DreamWorks. Yeah, and I think this one was another one of those clear, like, it's a video game. Have it look like the video game. Like, I enjoyed Sonic, but this is as lamb dunks as it gets. It's also one of those... Was there... It's also, I think, one of those where... For all for everything that was said about Chris Pratt, nobody cares. But also about how the bright decisions are sometimes the simplest. Where what was your reaction when you heard that Bowser was gonna play by Jack Black? Do you have any reactions? Mildly positive. Yeah, exactly. But people might have been like, Oh, really? Like that is an obvious choice. He's fantastic. He he's yeah. he's the most TikTok. Like, the trend this week is the song he wrote for Bowser, which goes, Peaches, 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 Peaches. And now Universal had to come out and say that it's eligible for an original song for the Oscars next year because of how viral it's going. So... It's, it isn't eligible? It is. Yeah. It's completely original. It and my only reaction as a, was, I don't think this is going to be limiting for them, but... It is one of those kind of typical movies where they try... They, it has all the references. Yeah. Like was, all was the references. Mario Party? Did they play Mario Party? That's they the didn't, one I was wondering about. Yeah, okay. So I guess that's true. Somebody was telling me like they didn't play Mario Party. But there were so no, many no, I'm references. I'm not trying to poke holes. No, no, I know. Yeah. But there were so many references that I came out and I remember telling Ariella like, it's overwhelming. But it's also crazy that Mario has so many references. Because Ariella was like, I recognized 25 melodies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, there is there is a melody of when he, you know, tan 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 tan. There is a melody. There is a melody when he goes underwater. Under. You know, like, and there is just so 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 many different ones, and they play all of them, and they play the original Mario, and they play the Donkey Kong, and they play Mario Kart, and they do, you know, the penguins, and they do. Luigi's Mansion a little bit. But, you know, it's still mostly focused on them. There is no Kirby. There is no Zelda. Yoshi appears for, like, a second and a half. But, I mean, fun. I actually had a conversation with my parents this weekend about... Mario? Next time I go up to Oklahoma, Oklahoma, if I could take the NES they have in storage and bring it home with me. Oh my god. Oh, they have an NES. 100%. My grandmother bought an NES randomly for herself because she thought it looked fun and became obsessed with it, so she gave my parents one. That's like, amazing. original. Me and my brothers crazy. still have the Super Nintendo at home, and we had to go out right. of our way to find the adapter for HDMI. And to this day, yeah. we play Bomberman. Like the Super Nintendo Bomberman 2D. Fantastic. The freaking Toy Story game that I don't know if you ever played. That was so hard. And the, oh, the Lion King. Bad tie-in games, but not that one. Oh, my God. Uh, 
yeah, just anyway, super fun. The one thing that I did want to ask you was, did you see also that Mario, the budget was a hundred million? I did not. That is a that is a high budget, right? <laughs> I, I, I haven't looked at animation budgets in a minute. It's it half very high. It's half a Disney or a Pixar movie, or less than half. Some of the Pixar movies are hitting two to thirty to twenty. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, it surprises me that Disney movies are hitting that high, but it doesn't surprise me Pixar is with like every element needs to be a different animation style now. Back to the NES stuff. Have you ever seen this company before? Analog? No. I'm obsessed with this company. I am not that much of a gamer, but I deeply want one of their devices because they're beautiful. They just make uh, just hardware emulators. So they make recreations of classic consoles that actually play the, the cartridges. Oh. Um, I really want the analog pocket because it just is like a beautiful, plays every Game Boy, Game Gear, every game, full color, but also just gorgeous. But look at these designs. You can plug into your TV. <sighs> Sorry, that was Carl's product design corner. That is beautiful. You're telling me what you want for your next birthday or something. Yeah, exactly. You should leave this. Crazy expensive either. So beautiful. I also did you ever know the uh, the play date? Have you ever seen one of those? The play date? Yeah. Okay. Back to Carl's design corner for a second. This is so this is a company that built a brand new game console themselves. They like kickstarted it. And it's just this beautiful, whimsical, like well, it looks like a fat iPod nano. It also has a crank. You can play games with the crank. <laughs> also, their website's cool. Yeah. I don't know. I really want one of these, too. That's pretty cute. But I have no purpose for it. Have you read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow? I'm not. Do you know... Have you heard about it? I've not heard of it. So, give me one sec. So, it's this book by... Sorry, listeners, I got very close to the mic there. Hopefully, it wasn't that hard. I, I, you were talking above it. It was very funny. <laughs> tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. It's a book by Gabriel Zevin, and it's pretty famous, has been pretty famous for maybe six months. One of the bestsellers, you know, winner of Best Fiction. He, it won the Best Fiction Goodreads Choice Award for 2022. And it's this book about two basically video game designers. Like, they meet in high school and then they reconnect in college, and it's kind of their life as video game designers. And it tells a story about the video games that they design and how it connects with their lives and how it evolves cool. as video games evolve. And I think, yeah, there is just so much nostalgia and so much so much art in storytelling and how it evolves from, as you were showing this stuff from Game Boy, like the pixel-based and how they first, dis- mm-hmm. how they were able to do depth and how, you know, with Pokemon, there is like, you go up, left or right, but it, they make it seem as if there is more than that and as if there are steps and... I think it just um, it speaks. I think I think it would speak to you exactly this feeling that you're talking about. Oh, I want these devices, and to be able to see this, I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, I, I'll read it. It's I actually just read a, a book called um, Laser Writer Two. I picked it up because it said Laser Writer Two on it, which is the name of a antique Apple laser printer, and it was in the old Garamon typeface in this little stone volume. And I got it from the library recently after seeing it in a bookstore. It was a book I would not recommend to pretty much anybody except you. 
mm-hmm. because it was a pretty slight book. It's uh, by Tamara Shopson. Uh, it's just kind of a little portrait of a now defunct Max shop in New York in the 90s and just all the cast of characters that works there and this, um, the main character, she finds a lot of joy in just like the joy of fi- fixing a well-designed but also kind of terribly designed Apple product, the mm-hmm. Laser Writer 2. And it's just filled chock full of like early, I guess late 80s, early 90s Mac paraphernalia, which is really for me. And I think you I think you would like it. But again, if you're not like a tech nerd in that way, you probably wouldn't like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. That sounds awesome. Your your book have you ever read The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay? No. Uh Michael Chabin, uh two thousand four or something. Seems very similar in premise. It's two cousins uh in the early days of comics write a silver age of comics book. And then it follows their careers and lives and intersections. Very good. Mm, that's pretty good. I enjoy when we talk books on the podcast. We should do it more often. I know. We should. I uh, also just joined Goodreads because I finally got sick of not tracking my books like I do my letterbox. I'm shaking so my I head. assume you were on it? No, because Goodreads is Amazon. Download know, but I Storygraph. Got... Storygraph? Yeah. Okay, I'm not too committed to it. It's... I, I tried... Another app that seemed really well designed, and then I tried using a barcode search, and it failed. I'm like, nope, not doing this. Goodreads, I didn't want to use Goodreads. <laughs> I hate Amazon interfaces. You know that. Storygraph, yeah, story not graph. perfect. I think they're going to get better, but it gets the job done, and it helps. It's never going to get to I, the uh, scale of Goodreads. Really value the net- I really value the network effects of the Amazon Goodreads ecosystem, Aton. Well, you probably do, no? You don't want to see that what your other friends are reading, and uh, you know you want to see something with ten thousand reviews instead of like half a review, things like that. We we do use Letterboxd as a primary resource for whether or not we should watch something. So, yep, you're right. Sorry, Storygraph. Give wow, it a we try. Uh, went on a lot of tangents there. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. One other random tangent off of Mario before we move off of it. Is, are you an It's Always Sunny fan at all? No. Not because I don't I like think, it. I just, I have never watched it. Yeah, it's it's one, I don't know if it will be your speed. But two, it's one of those where it's only because I'm married to a diehard Always Sunny fan whose sister is an even bigger fan um, that I've gotten into it because it's one of those shows where it's, it's like Arrested Development where it's just so many layers and layers and layers of things except it's been going for 17 years at this point oh. 18 years anyway i bring it up because it sounds I, like the mole from pujol <laughs> which i i did get a reservation to so thank thank you for your advice but that sounds funny sorry finish <laughs> yes um anyway i think the cast is wildly talented uh I don't think that Glenn Howerton's really going to take off with Blackberry this year, but Rob McElhenney has been having a great time with Mythic Quest. I really love Caitlin Olson's show, um, The Mick, which was only on for two seasons a few, like this was like five five years ago or so. But um, Charlie Day, who was an actor who is Luigi in mm-hmm. yes, yes, that Super I know Mario. I know him He's from also the movie with Guillermo del Toro in Pacific. Exactly. Rim. 
course. Yes. Yep. Guillermo's about to come off, actually. Um, he also is Benny the Astronaut in the aforementioned Lego movie. Very good vocal performance. Sure. But he's always been one of those guys that's Rocket been like, kind of... A... Yes. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. He's always been one of those guys that's been about to pop, you know? Like, he's he was in Horrible Bosses. He... A few years ago... Oh, he just... Last year, he had uh, I Want You Back, which was a very endearing rom-com. But he's always been about to pop. But he's today, like... the trailer came out for... Wouldn't you say that he's like Paul Roth? Yeah. Ten years behind? He's also he's also kind of ageless like Paul Rudd. He just kind of has looked the same for 20 years. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about the trailer. Always vaguely disheveled. <laughs> uh, so the trailer for his di- directorial debut, which he also write, wrote, came out today. Uh, it is a film called... I'm going to cut that out. It's a film called Fool's Paradise. I encourage you to watch the trailer after this. Okay. Uh, it is really good looking. <laughs> like, I'm surprised that somebody got to make this movie because he's playing someone who is psychosomatically mute. It's almost like, it seems like a, almost like a Mr. Bean or Charlie Chaplin sort of thing. So everything is, is almost, is physical comedy with this character. Um, but he's being sucked into the vortex of Hollywood and being elevated to movie star status. So it just seems like a perfect Hollywood satire while also a very throwback, like, I don't know, Jacques Tati, Mr. Bean thing. It, it looks like a wild swing that he got to make, that he got to make a silent physical comedy, comedy performance movie that also just stars, like, you know, Ken Jeong, Jason Sudeikis, classic, normal sure. talking people. people. Yeah. So... Anyway, Guillermo comes up here, or sorry, Mr. Del Toro. I, I'm not on the Guillermo level. Um, he comes up because apparently they maintained a friendship since Pacific Rim. Of course they have. That is so wholesome. And Charlie showed him some early drafts of the screenplay and also some rough cuts of it. And he said that he rewrote like a third of the screenplay based off Guillermo Del Toro's notes. Freaking Guillermo Del Toro. But it's just, like, so cool that he's making this very big swing of a movie, but also he can call his friend Guillermo del Toro up and get advice. Yeah. So. That's pretty cool. It's very cute. That's very cute. All right. We were going to talk about some other things. Namely, HBO Max rumors. Max Max rumors? I Max think Max. I broke this to Maximum you, like, what, two, 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 two weeks ago or maybe last week? I don't know. Um, but that's evolving. Let's stay on... Our wows right now. Our uh, what are we watching? Yes. So uh, so okay. You saw Super Mario. You saw Air. I saw Air, and I loved Air. I thought Air is great. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I was reading too much into it, of course, because it's Ben Affleck, but it 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 does feel like a little bit like Argo, not in terms of the heist or the stakes at all. But, you know, how it's made. Um, I don't think a single person is walking into that movie not thinking. It seems, kind of seems like Argo going in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the style, the palette, the colors. That's like what it is. It's the, basically the same thing, not Tehran and the suburbs of Oregon. Um, no. Super fun. All the, all the actors, all the roles are great. I love the story of, like, this is the first... Um, 
movie from the new production company from Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. And one of the things that they say they want to do is that they want to help kind of everyone that participates in the production of a movie to like elevate voices and create voices because, and I don't know if you read the story, but there is a, like just a cool story with Alex Convery, who is like the, he wrote the script. He wrote the script. You're going to know the name. He's one of those scripts that are not commissioned. Like nobody asked for them. He just wrote it without spec scripts. Yeah. It's a spec script. Yeah, spec script. He wrote, I think like after watching the last dance documentary, Mm. and got acquired and apparently it was reworked a lot and they changed so much that kind of common stuff was that maybe he would have been a co-writer or maybe a co-story maybe just story by but that uh, during the last day of production Ben Affleck called him and told him that he was going to be the lone writer of the movie because he he was like Matt and I are so grateful for the opportunity we got with Goodwill Hunting such a long time ago, and we want to pay it forward, and you deserve oh, it, and without you this wouldn't be here, and you know it could be another one of those PR stories, but I thought you know I think it's good and fun, also because I didn't know that it was an Amazon Studios production. Yeah, I don't think anybody did until they were looking at the box office numbers. I saw that earlier too. It's. I guess Amazon's just trying to maybe release things more quietly. But who? Very strange. What is Amazon Studios? How is it different from, like, why isn't it MGM? Like, what is the role of Amazon Studios? Maybe that's why. Scenario. Maybe it's just not merged yet. Like, maybe that's, maybe they're trying to think of how to sunset the brand. Which, good. I uh, I hate that logo. That logo resembles Amazon. Yeah, that it that feels logo. It's like walking into an Amazon store. It's just terrible. And it's like it reminded me of all the type of new rental developments where they like to build Amazon stores and Whole Foods under. It's just weird. It would be so. It will be so fitting if that rumored AMZ Amazon deal goes through, and it, the Nicole Kidman logo gets replaced with. Something that looks like that. You know that's going to happen. And then she walks into the Amazon Books store and she's like, we come to this place for magic. But anyway. No. Um, Yes. We're staring too much into the abyss there. Yeah, it's just, I mean, growing up as a kid, one of my favorite things, to this day, when you come to my wedding and to the bachelor party with my brothers, my brothers and I, quote... Rush Hour, and Rush Hour 2, and Rush Hour 3, so much. The Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker movies. We love Chris Tucker, who has basically done nothing since then. Right. And he plays these Never seen one of those movies. That could be your next franchise to start heckling me about. It's, I mean, it's just so fun. And Chris Tucker is this perfect, over-the-top... Like, he's perfect for his role. Every time he speaks, everyone in the movie theater was, like, cracking up. But Marlon Wayans has a very small part that apparently Michael Jordan brought up. Viola Davis is awesome. There are, like, these cool stories of, like, this is not a Michael Jordan movie. He doesn't, like, you see his back and you hear his voice at the end, but he's not really there. Uh, 
pacing is good. Fun since the beginning. Uh, I'm curious. Like, it's not going to be a everything everywhere all at once phenomenon. Yeah. But I do think it's gonna. It might be one of those that in December, when we look at like which movie from March or April is has nominations for something, it might be Air. Some that of the would require stuff. Amazon to spend some money on a on an Oscars campaign. But yes, sure. But like it, it might be. It's uh... in theory, yes, I agree that Ben could will that into existence. Listen, getting a hundred percent, virtually a hundred percent in both Rotten Tomatoes categories. Impressive. Yeah. It definitely does seem like the Top Gun energy this year. Obviously not in terms of the stratospheric, literally and metaphorically, performance yeah. of Top Gun. But in terms of the adult movie that everyone's like, I'll probably see that. It looks good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I went yesterday at 6.30 on a Monday. He was playing one of the small screens all weekend. It was full. Everyone was very happy. Great. Uh, the other thing I, I watched... also saw... A... What did you watch? Yeah, I was like, I was gonna say, I also saw a movie at six thirty p.m. yesterday. John Wick leader, something random. Uh, how to blow up a pipeline? Oh yeah, good. I I think actually it's not playing close to me. Is it amazing? Yeah. So Alex loved it, and I liked quite a bit of it. There is like a fundamental thing that everyone seems to either love or hate about it, which you don't know until you're watching. It's very thrilling. You're Familiar with the premise of it? The is the climate activists. Yes, they're trying to blow up a pipeline in Texas. So it is very thrilling. Feels very like uncut gems or breaking baddie at times in terms of the stress and pressure of them plotting and, and executing this act of ecoterrorism. But there's a lot of flashbacks at very important stressful moments like it'll just cut from like something crazy's happening to flashback for a little bit and inform you about the character that the crazy thing's happening to which i found completely ripped me out of of the moment in a way that i didn't love um and also made it so i was getting attached to the characters kind of in a sideways fashion rather than before all the crazy stuff's going down but other people seem to from what I've read and heard from my wife, seem to be very into that structure. So my English may vary. The stuff that was thrilling was amazing, though. And one of the best directorial debuts I've seen in a minute. Like, really well-directed. Didn't love the screenplay, but just pretty well done. That's pretty cool. That's pretty good. I have it I have it high in my later books. I, the last thing I watched was Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Okay, who's better, Chris Pine or Hugh Grant? Hugh Grant. Okay, seems hard to beat. I mean, I think he also found with this and Paddington too. He's just now a whimsical villain. That's all he's gonna do for the rest of his career. I think he's, yeah, yeah, it's fun. I think it's it it it's able to. I mean, like you said last week, it's a perfect airplane movie. Doesn't have to be more than that. But I would rewatch it multiple times in an airplane. It, it manages to find the middle ground for people that know Dungeons & Dragons and people like me that have no idea of Dungeons & Dragons to make things as generic and funny as possible without making you feel no. like 
again, there is too much references that you feel like you don't get anything. Uh, Chris Pine is fun. Michelle Rodriguez is fun. Hugh Grant is amazing. Uh, you, you saw that they're uh, going to start production on a new Paddington film this summer? Paddington in Peru, which, I'm sorry, Darkest Peru does not sound like the most uh, 2023 location to film a movie and whatever that means in Brit, like, Brit colonialisms, but I'm sure it'll be good. How is Paddington in Peru? That's where he's from. He's from, quote, Darkest Peru. Darkest Peru? That's what it says in the book. That's what it says in the movie. Wow. Yeah, whenever he's with uh, Aunt Lucy and... Yeah his uncle and they're making marmalade in the treehouse that's in peru darkest peru well yeah. i couldn't be more uh, excited okay. on, that's gonna break all the records on D. did you ever play D? were you Never. ever uh, any any sort of like rpg like that no i think i need a friend that would organize it because i would be game you do i yeah. feel like i would like it but i i think i need someone to pull me in and i would be game to try it I'm the king of um, playing D&D for a session and not being invited back just because I'm I'm an inherent game breaker, like, which is not good, especially when I'm with a friend. You know how I like to, like, you know, kind of be a dick to my friends and, you know. Sure. Compete yes. with them where I can. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not fun whenever somebody's running a game and I'm just sitting there trying to figure out how to break their, their game mechanic. But that's how I do it naturally is, like, I want to win. And that's why uh, eldest children are terrible at playing board games. Dungeons and Dragons. want to win. It's not about winning. It's about the game itself. I know, but it's also about winning as in character. You know. What if so? You're, what you're saying is that the dungeons master needs to tell you that you win by lasting in the game as much as possible. That's true. Yeah, that would be like it's all about my north star, right? Is my north yeah. star fame and fortune? as the bard or whatever I'm playing, or is sure. it now? Yeah. yeah. But it is fun. Uh, you'd enjoy it. It's, I mean, it's more like interactive theater with a small group of friends. <laughs> that's true. Honestly, that sounds very fun. Yeah. That sounds very fun. It's creative. Um... All right, Max. Max, so you teased last week. That tomorrow there is this announcement coming from WBD, where they're announcing their WBD they, is that the uh, that's how I call them now. It, is it shorter? I don't know. Um, the, sorry, the WBD. No. <laughs> Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh I don't know. Nobody knows what they're gonna say. If they're gonna say that it's a new streaming service, if they're gonna say that it's a rebranded streaming service, if they're gonna say that it's just HBO Max plus Discovery, and then HBO becomes a tile, and Discovery becomes a tile, but the thing is called Max. Honestly, I don't know. Honestly, I don't care. Honestly, I don't know if people will care. Do you think they are going to make people care? I think, I guess, maybe they launch, like, a new pricing structure, or they give, like, 50% off, or there is, like, a crazy deal to get in. I can't think of anything I want to watch from Discovery. They better not increase the price. Yeah. Yeah. So the Discovery thing is like how there's, you know, five different Yellowstone shows and 20 season sitcoms on CBS that you and I have never heard of, right? Like 
it's one of those things where does your average consumer see the value prop in discovery content and paying for it standalone? I imagine yes, because it seems to be a successful streaming service. But you and I are not going to watch Chip and Joanna Gaines put shiplap across every building in Waco. Like, that's just not our vibe, typically. Nope. Um, but I think a lot of people are. So I could see a world in which there is a value add for, for, for your average consumer of having content they like and other content they like being merged together. But as I'm saying that, that sounds like every terrible pitch I've ever heard for an M&A, you know? Yeah. The only thing I could see happening is that it helps with churn a little bit. It doesn't hurt with acquisition. Some people think twice about cutting that one. I agree. Because others because it has other stuff. Uh, but I, I can't see a world in which people are churning between those services. Right? Like, so it's got to be people that... I don't think it's going to be you're going to stop cannibalization of churn. I think it's purely just people see the value prop and say, oh, I'll stick around because I can watch XYZ now. Even if they'll never would. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, it's that sort of, like, psychology game rather than an actual economics game. Yeah, it's... That's... The other thing I can see with it is it simplifies their tech stack, so it makes operations more efficient. And I'm assuming that they get lots of complaints about the HBO Max app all the time. But to your point about people not caring, I just accept it as a fact of life that I'm just not going to be able to watch HBO half the time, or it's going to be a disaster. And <laughs> I live funny. with that because it's still worth paying for. <laughs> sure. I think it's the same with... Uh... Yeah, it's definitely worth just... I mean, we're going to talk about succession in a second. But... Maybe ad buying, they can sell higher reach, but I don't know if it's going to increase that much the amount of hours played. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Discovery is a pretty natural Avon audience, right? And I can see a world in which people that would sign up for Discovery Plus on an Avod tier would sign up at a higher rate for Max on an Avod tier. Sure. But what if what if it's purely just a rebrand? What if it's what if they don't combine them? What if it's all just ah, we're changing it to Max and we're making a new HBO Max app? I could see that happening. I could see them being like, we have all this technical, uh, we we've been working on a new version of this app since day one. We're gonna roll it out, and then it's not another year on limbo while they figure things out and just bake off two technologies. I don't know. I I don't know who's running the ship there. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I agree with you that it could happen. I don't see it happening. I don't see that happening. It feels like the most telegraphed but... thing in forever. And I feel like if they do that, the investors would kill them even more than they already did. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Because the, the thing that I saw in streaming that I sent you that actually got me excited this week was... Did you see the Google TV announcement? I did. Talk me through it. I, so, I read through it. And I... From the... From the press release that you sent me, don't quite understand like what the deal is beyond it's just more Avod access on your Google TV. Sure. So I think there were two interesting announcements from the Google company in terms of uh, media today. One was 
So Google TV, we've talked about, is kind of, is just their smart TV, like, OS now? Like, Chromecast now has Google TV. Right. Or if you have a TV like mine, like a TCL or whatever, it has Google TV. It's just the OS. And it has now, similar to Amazon and Apple channels, where you could just sign up for HBO Max through them. And yeah. that's what I thought this was. But the name of the the name of the blog is Discover More Than 800 Free TV Channels with Google TV. But what they've done is that when you open your apps, like yours, just the menu of your TV, it has mm -hmm. the apps that you have signed up. And then at the top, there is one like peel that says live. And if you click there, you are going to get direct access without having to sign up, without having to do anything mm -hmm. to a combined feed of Pluto, Tubi, Plex, and Haystack News. So these four are like the biggest... Uh... Oh, man, you, you know the acronyms. What are the acronyms for these ones? It's not only ABOT, but they are they're organized in uh, channels. Linear, yes. Yeah, but there is another, there is an acronym, no? It's I mean, STD, they're FAST? Is, they're, is it is FAST? It? Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. What does FAST stand for? Hey, I was I was out of the the streaming the uh, Avod streaming game before Fast was a, a thing. So, so Fast yeah, means free, free ad supported, ad -supported television. TV. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So basically, what it means is that these companies give you access to quote unquote channels. You can't choose a movie and start watching it whenever you want. You just have channels that are playing stuff, and you can jump in. Some of the channels are like yeah. news from CBS or ABC. Some of these channels is like, there is a Top Gear channel. There is like a Hallmark Movies channel that is different from the Hallmark channel. And it just has a ton of stuff. And now they're kind of unified into one feed. Yeah. And I think it's very smart. I don't know what Google yeah. dangled over them to agree to do this because it seems like it they lose a ton of their power. Maybe they are making it very sweet through an ad package where Google now has some inventory on them that they pay a significant premium on in exchange for yeah. having them here. And Google now gets more inventory. But I absolutely, that's exactly what it has to be, right? It, there's no way it's anything because you, they're not getting like a, a bump necessarily in brand here. It's not like a channel strategy in the same way that a channel premium channel sales channel sorry premium channel sales are for like an apple or a roku this is quite literally like bundling these things and white labeling them into this just google interface yeah so what that's telling me is two things one it's telling me that everyone realizes that these platforms are commodities, but the ads are the thing, and you can be a commodity platform as long as you create great ad revenues, right? Yeah. And they're making these these content deals to be able to create these fast channels. But two, it's also telling me that either they are worried about Google's continuing continuing dominance in ads, or the other way around, Google wants to court CTV so they can get get more into that game too. Yeah, I wonder if this is they expect to sell more hardware because of this. I don't think so. But I mean, do do you think hardware was ever like the 
knife's edge of Google's strategy with anything. I don't think... Nest, I well, guess, is it, but... The first TV that I bought super cheaply, I did make a decision to get the one that had Roku instead of, like, whatever Samsung had. Yeah. And I thought it was a good decision. For this one, just the TCL that I wanted only had Google TV. And I was like, yeah, that's, that seems fine. It has Chromecast built in, and that's very easy. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, I think this is a good idea. The other stuff that came out, I don't know if you saw, it's related to sports. Did you see, did you hear about YouTube TV and the NFL Sunday ticket? No. So the NFL Sunday ticket is the... It was kind of the... It wasn't the golden goose of media rights for sports, but it was. it's definitely like the biggest almost pay-per-view package that exists. It's Got been it. owned by DirecTV for the past like 20 years. And what basically gives you is that it gives you access to all NFL games. So if you open it up a Sunday at 1 p.m., you can see eight games at the same time. And up to until last year, it was managed by DirecTV. It was $300 yeah. a year per subscriber for wow. 16 weeks. It was up for renewal. And it was a big deal when Google, specifically, it was announced YouTube TV, like three months ago, was going to get it. And today, they finally announced the pricing. And it's going to be $450 a year. But if you're a YouTube subscriber... YouTube TV subscriber, you get it for three fifty. So, yeah. I think this is a kind of a weird. There is, of course, different things. I think, I think they can charge more. I think it makes sense because YouTube TV or like this is now the first time that you can get Sunday ticket without paying for cable. So I think the four fifty. Yeah, yeah, I get it. They need to use this power. The fans are gonna get it. Price discrimination, good for them. I think on the feature side, before it used to work as DirecTV. You just get like, there were like 15 channels and each week you just find your game in a channel. Now it's going to work like it should work, like streaming. You're going to see them, yeah. you're gonna, it's going to be easier to go through them. There is going to be more over the air. And they're, they're still teasing a lot of the these things that are going to come up. And to your point that you just made about the ads, Virtual MVPDs are also are a commodity already. And I'm going to talk about some wrangling that I had to do before we started recording about my MVPD situation. But YouTube TV, Fubo TV, Hulu with Live TV, DirecTV Streaming and Sling, I guess they are the ones. Are yeah. basically all the same. And YouTube TV has been the one that... It, it used to be the cheapest. I think now it's tied mm -hmm. with Hulu. I love the interface. I was a subscriber for two years. Free DVR, very easy to use, kind of record whatever it's playing. I had to move away from them because they don't have the regional sports network for Boston. It's only on Fubo TV. So I had Fubo for the last month. And the interface in Fubo, I can't explain you how it feels like I'm traveling back in time. It's worse than Amazon. It's worse than HBO Max. It's just terrible. Like, I can't understand it for someone as big as they are. Just how terrible. It, it's so terrible that today it was going to charge me tomorrow. And I was like, I can't do this. 
I might just pay for the overpriced license to get the whatever sports network streaming service because it's I, so I would say bad. I'm surprised you didn't pilot the Boston regional streaming service. Oh, I will because now there is a an offer where it's three hundred twenty dollars a year, which is like thirty bucks a month, of course. But you get four tickets to go watch the Red Sox. So it's not hey. terrible. But not just terrible. to say, uh, to your point about the ads and how YouTube TV and all of these things are playing the game because they, they, they as opposed to the regular MVPDs, they can programmatically advertise to you whatever inventory they have. They are starting to find these quote-unquote like big things that are worth differentiating on. Football is by far the biggest sports rating in the U.S. Sunday yep. ticket is probably the best way to attract these high willingness to pay customers. And you get the best of both. If they don't sign up for you and they don't get $100, uh, $100 off, they spend 450 yeah. just for that. And that works and that's okay and they will still be able to charge for it their app again so much better than fubo and yeah my first i thought i was going to be more surprised but as soon as i saw it i was like you know what yep it's 150 dollars more 50 percent more than what it was last year it's probably right it's probably right That is, I was doing some calculations here and, you know, I would, if I watched two movies every week at $300, or sorry, if I divide $300 by two movies every week by 16 weeks, that comes out to about nine to 10 bucks. So it's about how much I would spend on my media habits. So, hey, makes total sense. It's fun to watch the I don't know how you, sucks. I was going to say, I don't know how you, you, uh, justify it how the film expenditure and that and then i remembered that you have amc a list so that takes that out of the equation yeah but and the other thing with the red sox is that they play six times a week almost three hours do you ever just have you ever just gotten like a you know five dollar ticket on a on a cheap day and and gone on a whim or oh yeah always planned? this season just started last week so i haven't yet but i'm going monday it's the first game of the cool. season that i'm going it's Marathon Monday, Patriots Day, and they it's a holiday in England, so they always do a, it's an 11 a.m. game on a Monday. It's very famous. And, of course, since the marathon bombing a couple of years ago, it also took on kind of this meaning about Boston. So I'm very excited to go. Yeah. Should be fun. Very cool. Yeah, should be fun. All right. Well, I think we should end our episode here, except we're not going to really end it. But I'm going to play music like it's ending because I want to talk about Succession with you for like two minutes. Oh, yeah. But I also don't want to... I actually want to create a spoiler space instead of our ambiguous spoiler space of, let's skip ahead a bit. Good luck. Yeah. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. If you do want to hear the spoilers, wait till after the music. All right, I'm ducking it back in right now. Cool. Okay, so yeah, that was a an amazing reset of a final season. 
wild. Yeah. I usually don't watch Succession Sunday nights. Me either. Never. And Ariela is now taking Silk's classic Sundays. So I was like, oh, it's nine. She's going to come back in half an hour. I'm going to start watching it. I never do it. That was so great. Tell me, how, how did you experience it as it happened? Yeah. So, I mean, I was I was on a plane when it when it dropped. And it was one of those things where we're taxiing at 7.55. We're, we're going to start taking off. I think we started taking off at 8.03. So I had enough signal that I could probably have gotten it. But it was a 30-minute flight. So I was like, yeah, we'll just watch it tomorrow or whatever. And then we land. And I get on Twitter. And I've only ever seen this happen once where everyone on Twitter, on like film TV Twitter, is kind of saying, this is a really important episode of TV for you to watch like right now. Yeah. It's like not like a, whoa, such and such happened. It's more a, something very strange just happened on television and I think you need to, like, everyone should watch it and we should, like, not really discuss it for two hours because I don't know what just happened. The other being um, the eighth episode of Twin Peaks The Return, which is one of the just strangest art exercises I've ever seen on what can be called television. But anyway, <laughs> this one, yeah, uh, I, I told you the MVP to me is Matthew McFadden because it just really... He sold it as real as it was happening. It starts as any other succession episode. There is some stuff to look forward to. These guys need to go to Sweden. There is a wedding, another crazy Jerry's wedding. Jerry's going to get fired. Yeah, exactly. Somebody needs to fire someone. The usual subjects. And then all of a sudden, there is a call that Chief doesn't take. And then they answer. And to your point, Matthew McFly is like... Uh, for the first 10 minutes, right, after the call, they don't even say, if is he dead? Have they shown him? Are they playing with us? I thought it was a tactic by Logan and team. No. I think they were pretending something. And for the next 45 but minutes... But then you start seeing the chest compressions in the background. and Yeah. Like, oh, this is uh, yeah. not a game. I think there is only one shot where you can actually tell it's him. Yeah. Or is part of how the, how they show it and uh, fantastic storytelling, fantastic way to show the reactions, the spacing between them, like Roman and Roy knowing together, Shiv and Connor hearing after, their interactions yeah. between them, the reactions of the company. I mean, the giggles of the assistant, Carrie, Carrie. <sighs> Fantastic stuff. I mean, assistance generous at, at this stage. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Lover, whatever, right, whatever, whatever her position is in the Logan Roy uh, company. Um, yeah, it's... It was so interesting. I'm usually not a, a big, like, I don't care about spoilers generally. You know that. You're kind of the same way often. Mm-hmm. Um this is one of the absolute rare exceptions for me where I was really grateful to have watched it unspoiled because it wasn't that the Logan dying was like shocking necessarily. It, it was, but it was more the, the fact that this happened like just like 30 minutes of 
confusion kind of playing out in real time in this episode of what the hell is going on. Is the entire world just like collapsing in this show? And it was so cool to be in that headspace of uncertainty while it's happening that I'm so glad I didn't have it spoiled going in. I think it would do for the rest of version on how it sets the last season that I rewatched. I think I rewatched all of it before the third season. And the first episode sets the stage for the series to be succession, right? Who is he going to choose is basically what they make you think what the series is going to be about. And this is basically saying it was never about that. It was always about how the kids were going to live without him and how were they going to make any decisions. And it's wild how exhilarating the, like, on the next episode of Succession was, where it's just really like a surprise it's another season trailer because this was yeah. kind of just a weird three episode season that did it was just a precursor yeah. That's so cool. to what we're really getting to but at the same time it feels almost like season one which is good and bad it's bad because i kind of hated everyone in season one I, I still do but you become endeared to them but season one they're so unpleasant and they're just they're the emotions have like are behind walls that have not been revealed to you yet you yet and i don't want it to be like that but i also know it won't be because of things like kendall actually taking charge in this episode and being a serious person for about half of the running time of the show connor being the most heartbreaking of all yeah he never loved me just how i never was never able to make him proud it's funny that, funny that every other season has ended with a wedding, and even this one, kind of does. So okay, who's getting married at the end? Is it um, Greg and a European princess? Is that the the real season finale, <laughs> series finale? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Greg, sorry, this was another great episode of Tom talking to Greg. Who are these Greglets you have running behind you? I <laughs> have my army of Greggies. But it was also great watching towards the end when he calls Greg. He's trying to do his usual abuse shtick, and he just can't do it. Like he's it was, so happy again. He's so relieved again, that he's there. Matthew McVeigh, so relieved. MVP. I mean, relief, but I mean, he has no protector. Like he doesn't have the protector at ATN anymore. Dude, he's gonna be the CEO by the end of the season. Maybe, maybe it'll be Greg. <laughs> that would be awesome. Greg's mom. Greg's mom, yes. All right. I think we have covered a lot of ground tonight. Yes. Uh, that was a great rambling tangents episode, but honestly, a pretty great one in terms of, I think we actually got to, we talked about a lot of our pet strategy topics. We actually played through some scenarios and, and actually back to the roots of our show as opposed to just being like uh what happened this week it was a good it was a great conversation yeah same I agree um awesome stuff thanks everyone we're gonna play some music for the second time and we'll talk to you next week